I've, I've enjoyed playing here. This has been over 20 years that I've, I've been coming to Royal Melbourne. This way golf should be played. We love coming down under. Look, it's phenomenal to play. The quality of the golf's been great, but the enthusiasm of the people's been the thing that's just been amazing. Tier of courses that I'm willing to shave my neck for in Kingston Heath and Victoria. Get me out of bed to shave. Especially somewhere like Australia in the sand belt, and I have so many great memories of being down there. Hello, welcome back to Australian Golf Passport. I'm Scott Warren, and I'm joined as always by Matt Mollica. Hey, Matty, how are you? Hi, Scott. Really excited to share our chat. Uh, with our special guest in this episode with all of our listening audience. Uh, probably one of the most uplifting and enjoyable hours we've spent chatting with someone on the podcast. So, Ren's one of my favourite people in golf. I think there's very few people, if anyone, on, on the face of the earth who know more and are as good as Ren is at discussing what they like and dislike about a course or a hole or golf in general, where the game's headed. Uh, he knows what he sees, and he has a really great turn of phrase in in talking about what he likes and dislikes. So, an hour of his time was uh, was an absolute gift, and I, I loved it. Yeah, same because he brings he brings a wealth of experience and 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 a, and a very uh, very educated opinion to it all. So, and I think it's gratifying too as an Australian golfer and someone who loves golf in this country to have some reinforcement from someone who has really been everywhere and seen it all. And, and isn't prone to platitudes, talk the way that Rand does about golf in Australia and our place in the world, our unique place, um, so and our unique product that, that our best courses offer. It's gratifying to have that little reassurance that we're not blowing it up and we're not telling ourselves things are better down here than they are. Uh, we really do have that special place in the game. Yeah, and there's some, there's some words in, in that hour for people in the driver's seat within golf in Australia that give them a little bit of advice as to what's important and what we should cherish and the direction we should be going in in times to come. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're really important words. And, so and, and those people, if they are listening and they don't immediately like what they hear on that topic, I was thinking this as we were chatting about it with Ran. I'd invite you to take a breath, go back to the start of it and listen and just just consider the counterpoint if it if it clashes with your view of you know where you think golf in Australia should be headed just i guess you know go in with with a with a clear eyes and listen to the way ran kind of argues his point i think he makes some really good points that are that are worthy of consideration yeah. but first we've got as always a bit of news to get through uh so tell us Maddie, what's been going on in golf in Australia this week uh two exciting announcements the first one was a bit of a badly kept secret and some time in the making uh, regarding an official announcement with Kingston Heath being officially revealed as the host for the 2028 President's Cup. So it'll be a really welcome event for Kingston Heath to host. And I'm sure that the club is very, very excited by that and that everyone at the Heath will band together and do a brilliant job for that event. It'll be it'll be interesting to see a change of venue with Royal Melbourne having hosted it three times in the last 20-odd years, 25-odd years. It'd uh, be interesting to see a new generation of golfers play in a match play event around Kingston Heath as well. Um, so that was, yeah, great to have that confirmed. Yeah, and so, I think it's actually great for the game down here. Everyone went crazy for Royal Melbourne when the President's Cup was there in 2019. And I think to have 
the attention of the golf world and hopefully with with the recent announcement between the Saudi PIF and PGA Tour, the likes of Cameron Smith and Co will be part of that part of that tournament by 2028. They obviously weren't last year when it was in the States. So a real focus on golf on the sand belt, not just celebrating Royal Melbourne, but shining a light on how good, you know, multiple courses on the sand belt are. You could easily host that tournament at PK North or Victoria and and wow people the same way. Uh, so I think it's good to show a bit of variety, as awesome as it would have been to watch them do battle with Royal Melbourne West again. Or the yeah. composite, I'm sorry. Yeah, definitely. I remember when the Accenture, one of the very early WGCs was staged uh, at Metro back at the turn of the century. Um, people were just in raptures watching Metro. And and now hopefully they'll get a, a, a global audience will get a good look at Kingston Heath and another another sand belt gem. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, do uh, have to wait till 2028 for that though. So yeah. On a smaller scale, the Australasian tour will have a rekindled event for next year and the two subsequent years. The Heritage Classic returns to the Australasian tour. So the Heritage, for those who are listening in from different states and different countries, the Heritage is a 36-hole complex out in the Yarra Valley, which is about an hour's drive northeast of Melbourne CBD. And they boast two courses, the St. John course and the Henley course. St. John was designed by Jack Nicholas, and the Henley course is a Tony Cashmore creation. So years ago, there was a Heritage Classic on the Australasian tour. And it's been missing for a while, but it gets reinstated for the 2023-24 PGA Tour of Australasia season. And that event is going to be held January 11 to 14. Uh, there's a three-year commitment for it. Uh, last time it was staged, uh, David Branson won it in a playoff over Lucas Herbert, very young Lucas Herbert back then. So that was 10 years ago. So that'll be a welcome return to the local golf circuit. And hopefully a sign that things will strengthen a little here with a couple of TPS events, a vibrant, hopefully a vibrant Australian Open up in Sydney, uh, our PGA and 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 those other surrounding yeah. events. I mean, our our days of attracting the best players in the world for the Australasian PGA Tour, you know, Aussie Open, et cetera, might be over. But it's great to see that the Australasian Tour is getting back to a decent program for the guys who are who are playing here over summer there's a good amount of tournaments i know now we've got the situation where the order of merit winner gets a european tour card so it's a legitimate pathway to you know tours that matter uh, i think dave michalusi got that card this year you know we may not be able to have an aussie open and an aussie pga that have you know 10 of the world top 50 or whatnot we might not have the roll call of winners that we had in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But I think a healthy Australian, Australasian tour that's feeding Aussie players into, you know, the main global tours, it's serving a great purpose for for Australian players. And that old adage, you can't be it if you can't see it. If we've got a couple of Australian players who ascend that ladder, get a Euro tour card, go overseas and do something significant, the the youngins at the level below see that and can aspire to that. That's a it's a really important element of that pathway in golf, I think. So it's nice that it's nice that it gets some sort of injection, however small. Yeah. 
So. And and a lot of good courses as well. So for those of us who enjoy seeing at home on a Saturday or a Sunday Ava and watching the golf, we've got the likes of 13th Beach and Bonnie Doon and Rosebud. And we've got some really some stuff that's fun to watch as well. I mean, I've not been to Heritage. It's a great opportunity too for a course you haven't seen to to eyeball it. So yeah, great yeah. news. So last little bit of business just before we throw to Ran, shout out to Matt Burns and Angus and Grace Go Golfing. Uh, those who are keen followers of Angus and Grace online will see that they've done a pant restock in recent days. So some old favourites uh, have been replenished in terms of stock levels, uh, some colours and uh, have been refreshed and some some new colours in store there as well. So I'd urge you to go take a look at the shelves or go take a look at what Matt's doing on Instagram regarding his 2023 winter range for Angus and Grace Go Golfing. Their women's range continues to just really look impressive. I'm sure that the I'm sure that the girls out there listening are equally excited about that range as as we are. You'd a bit also of Angus noticed... and Grace, yeah, a bit of Angus and Grace stuff going into the Seven Mile Beach online store. Yeah, uh, Seven Mile Beach may not have a golf course quite yet, but it's got merch you can buy, uh, and the Q-zips that we've been talking about recently that you and I have been braving winter. You know, as much as one has to brave winter in Australia, but braving winter in our in our Angus and Grace Q-zips, there's a, a grey and a navy with that fantastic uh, Seven Mile Beach logo that uh, is the work of Nick Mills at Sandbuilt Studios. Also, the the man behind our logo uh, does some of the best work, I think, in golf, and that logo is on the best Q-zips in the game at the Seven Mile Beach store. Yeah, but that's. I think I'm going to have to grab one of those in the colour that I've not already got the cues in. Yeah. Logo is fantastic. So, all right. Enough of us. Let's throw it around. Hope everyone enjoys it. And um, hope everyone enjoys the short turnaround from the last episode to this one. Yeah, it's a bit better than we've been doing recently. And also just thank you, everyone who's listening each week. Uh, It's always such a, a buzz 24 hours after we drop the episode to see, you know, a good steady number of listeners have jumped in. We really appreciate you spending an hour of your week to listen to us and we hope that that we're adding some value so thank you very much welcome in now from uh southern pines in north carolina in the u.s ren morissette who is you know perhaps best described as the granddaddy of of golf architecture on the internet welcome ren thanks for having me ren is the founder of golfclubatlas.com which is a fantastic website for anyone who's interested in in the types of things we talk about on this podcast. He also runs the golf magazine World Top 100 panel uh, and has, you know, 15 other fingers in little golf architecture and travel pies uh, and ran, lived in Australia about 20 years ago for a period of time and has, has visited quite regularly, though not regularly enough for his liking since. Uh, so really looking forward to hearing what Rand's going to have to say. Welcome. Glad to be here. Just love hearing your accent again. It makes me homesick. (laughs) So, well, speaking of that homesickness, tell us all about how you came to, I guess, become really familiar with Australian golf some kind of 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, I was working for a equipment finance company, uh, same company I work for now up in uh, Hong Kong. And it turned out during the handover um, to the Chinese that the operating leases that we were writing were more popular down in Australia. And so as a golfer, 
you did not have to ask me if I would be willing to move from Hong Kong to, to Australia. Um, I was on the next flight and uh, lived there from 1993 to 2000. And, um, you know, one of the first things I did was um, join Newcastle Golf Club. Um, and I, I truly, truly, not a week goes by when I don't think about um, how much I miss that place. And I just so, wish that they could get going there with, uh, you know, Bob Harrison's plans. I don't know what's the latest. Do you all? Yeah, so it sounds like it's it's quite close. They still have to get the final approvals for both the golf and for the aged care development that's taking over those holes that are along the road there. But both are extremely close. Uh, I, know, I know Bob's champing at the bit to get stuck in. So... You know, it's been not too far away for a lot of years now. I guess COVID probably didn't help, as with everything. But hopefully, in the next couple of years, we might have we might have some progress. I mean, it seems like it's the perfect plan. I mean, if 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 Apperley had been given that land, which he wasn't shown, I mean, I you know, I think I think he would have you know gone into the gone into it. So I mean, it's just even though I adore the course as it sits, um, it seems like a no brainer, um, to, to press ahead, especially with how busy it is down 17 and 18 and those issues. Uh, so 30 years ago, getting from Sydney to Newcastle wasn't nearly as fast or easy or convenient as it is now. That was a, that was a heck of a drive. What was it about Newcastle? Two hours two-hour drive, but there's that hotel, more of a motel, right before the entrance to Newcastle. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, and they, they had the best uh, breakfasts, and I became addicted to Vegemite. <laughs> so I would get my toast and tea, Vegemite toast and tea, and uh, then I'd go meet the lads on Saturday and Sunday. Um, it was, uh, you know, truly fabulous. Yeah, right. So, so you weren't you weren't knocking out day trips up and back up the highway. You were going up for a weekend and making the most of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was you know tragically uh, working. <laughs> I hate it when that gets in the way, but um, <laughs> yeah, and, you know. So a, a lot of the weekends, my recollection, it was uh, Stableford competition. Um, you know, which was just helped keep the pace of play. You know, moving along at a nice chop chop. Um, pace but you know it's just it, it, it you know as you all know i mean australia's just the kissing cousin of the uk it's just you have better weather and more sunshine but i mean you know it's it's let's keep moving trolley carrier bag um you know it's the cleaner pure form of the game than than uh what you find around a lot of the rest of the world hmm. and what were your what were your first impressions of australian golf having been raised on the game in the US, you got here and were there things that stood out about the way that we play or the culture of the game here? Um, you know, one of the great lines early was, uh, I don't remember um, who said it, um, but it was, it was a, I think it was a greenkeeper in, in the greater Melbourne area that, that Americans spend so much time trying to keep their grasses alive and we spend so much time trying to make sure our grasses aren't dead. 
And that's such a fundamental difference. And, you know, obviously you, you had um, great architecture um, starting from the 20s on. Um, but, you know, I think probably forever you all have led in agronomy. And so when you combine great architecture with world-class agronomy, you end up with, with something special. And then when you're talking about brick hard, fast running plane surfaces, some of the other garbage that creeps into the game, like carts and cart paths and speakers now on carts mm -hmm. and speakers on golf bags. I mean, you know, you just, you're, you're so far beyond all that um, stuff. So just, it's just, it's just such a, you know, it's just a pure form of the game. Um, and I think you have been less corrupted, some of it being how far you are away from all the evil influences, but um, that you've been, you know, amazingly true to the fundamentals of the sport. I mean, which, which is why it's just, you know, obviously you have elite architecture, but if you're debating whether to make a 13, 14 hour flight from Los Angeles and you think you're going to, you know, strap on your two bags onto a cart and tour Royal Melbourne, which is littered with cart paths and blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you can debate the worth of that. But I mean, it's the culture, the Australian spirit that when you, you layer that on top of elite architecture and world class agronomy, you know, you don't know how to define great golf until you've been to Australia. That's high praise, Rand. Thank you. I can't help but think while you were discussing those themes that there's a there's a legacy that has commenced with Mackenzie's visit and and Claude Crockford, who was the longtime superintendent at Royal Melbourne, and and their influence really has continued on through generations and is largely responsible for what a lot of Australian golfers and, and visitors enjoy today, both in terms of Let's architecture. Hope so. Yeah, Let's architecture. Hope so. Much to your credit, I agree with you. Mm. I think it was Crockford who said to Ben Crenshaw that Americans are continually trying to grow grass and we're trying to kill it. I think that's where that Is originated. That right? Yeah. So it would totally make sense. Yeah. I think that that what you describe, Rand, as being great about Australian golf is is most purely true about Melbourne golf. I think as someone who lives and plays in Sydney, I think we're on a bit more of a knife edge here around the approach to golf clubs and courses and embracing those excess things. When I go to Melbourne, I feel like I see a much more focused and like strategic approach to how golf is meant to be. And there's, you know, there's a very strict view and it's the right view, in my opinion. And I feel like Sydney's a little bit more slipping on the slope of embracing all the things that make American golf, American golf sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, to be clear, I did live for seven years in Sydney, um, not Melbourne. So, you know, my bad um, there for such a stunning, stunning city, you would think that it would have um, more than, you know, New South Wales um, golf club, 
at the um, very, you know, high end. Um, I mean, you know, you would you just, there'd be other courses along the cliffs and I mean, for sure, I used to play St. Michael's in the coast and gosh, I think we were paying $30 or something to play the coast. I mean, it was, you know, you're pitting over these cliffs and stuff, but you know, it's not, um, anyway, I mean, you know, Melbourne for sure. And then, then, you know, since I left, I mean, all the great things that have happened in, um, Melbourne, um, whether it's Peninsula, Kingwood or whatever, I mean, it's just, you know, y'all are just now moving from strength to strength, including the announcement of the 2028, um, President's Cup. Um, just great for the game of golf. So ran on that. I've just I've just had a look. I can play the coast tomorrow for fifty five bucks. <laughs> if you can post a picture of what that means to play, we did. My brother, my brother flew down and we played it. And and the way it works for visitors, you have to play the white tees. At right. least it was back then. And, you know, there were some great par threes that were like 200 and some yards over the cliffs if you could play the back tees. And um, so we were playing the back tees and we were told in no uncertain terms that we had to to move forward. But um, and that happens at, in, in the UK as well. I mean, where, you know, certain tees are reserved for the members, which I think is a very clever um, way to make people join. Um, but if you could show pictures of the coast and what that what environment that is for fifty five dollars that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's probably got it's probably got hence its name maybe more holes along the coastline than St Michael's or New South Wales. You know, there's there's a good run of you know two or three four holes on each the front and the back that you know if you if you walk too far left you're going off the cliff. So yeah, it's it's a magical spot for fifty five bucks. So who who owns that now? I mean, is it is it the members? I don't know. Yeah, so it's a it's a member club. Randwick Randwick next door is uh, I think operated by the council, and it's it's very public and even cheaper. I mean, ten years ago I was paying fifteen twenty bucks to play there um, in a similar location. No, so yeah, I mean the coast is sort of a member club with a lot of public play, which is sort of. That's that shade of grey that Australian golf clubs operate on, you know. That even, or even Royal Melbourne West is a private club with an element of public play. You know, the other end of the spectrum, there's essentially public courses that um, might have an hour or two on the weekend for members to play in a competition. But apart from that, it's public. Really, every every course here, other than maybe Little Frankston and Elliston, operate on that grey scale of yes, it's a members club, but if you want to pay money to play. We're happy to to have you. Well, I mean, just, you know, what a gift to the world that people can come down and play Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Victoria, et cetera. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, good luck if, if you came over and said to Pine Valley and Marion and the country club, hey, I'm here, good news, you know, ready to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't quite work the same. Um, you know, so, um, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, but it's, it's a credit to the country that you all allow people that you will share just like Scotland and England and Ireland and Northern Ireland share, 
Um, you know, can you imagine if people hadn't played, if people were walled off from playing Royal County down? I mean, it's just, it's the game's loss. Um, you know, yeah. which is frustrating about Ellerston. I'm a huge Bob Harrison fan. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's become more and more and more um, problematic to play Ellerston. And I, that was court when I moved away in 2000, it was just uh, coming online and I've still never um, been there. And I don't even know if I ever will, um, mm -hmm. which is a pity because I think it's a, you know, by all accounts, it's a fabulous um, golf yeah. course. Yeah, it's very. It, I'd be I'd be interested in your in your view of it because it is extremely striking. And Bob's done as he does. He's done some things that were, you know, adventurous and brave, and not everyone likes. But that's typically where the best architecture sometimes live. Is you know, you might love it, you might hate it, but you won't forget it. Yeah, as soon as somebody says I hate something, I want to go. You know, if somebody says, "Oh, everything was just perfectly pleasant," I'm like, "Eh, maybe next year." <laughs> just, <laughs> that's of no, no great use. Mm. And so, when you yeah, you got to Australia in '93 and you set up shop in in Sydney, how long did it take you to get to the Sandbelt? Uh, not more than a week. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean you have to understand that in 1977, my mom gave to my dad for Christmas, the World Atlas of Golf. And the greatest profile in that entire book is on Royal Melbourne. And Peter Thompson, who not only was a stellar player, gentleman, but he was a fabulous writer. And the, what he wrote in the World Atlas of Golf I, you know, I, we had pawed over that book until it splintered into literally like 15 different sections. We had a rubber band at one point around the book. Um, so I made sure <laughs> that I was trucking straight down. I can promise you that. Um, and your first impressions after seeing, I mean, you build something up in your head so much and then it's there in front of you, you know, in real life. Do you do you recall how that felt and what your what surprised you maybe about it? I remember coming over the crest of the hill as you come around on the 17th hole and almost virtually losing my breath. I mean, I thought it was so like perfect. And that's after you had played, you know, I'm a big fan of fall away green, so after the third green, I was like, okay, this is great. The fourth hole had been built up big time in the World Atlas of Golf. Well, this is stellar. Fifth hole is perfect. Sixth hole is perfect. Seventh hole is perfect. So you just keep ticking around. Um, and, you know, I think, as you all know, on, in Golf Club Atlas, on, there's a section called the 147 Custodians um, that's been up for three or four years, and it's my – um, view on what constitutes great golf and Royal Melbourne West course has always been number one. And so I left thinking it was the best course I'd ever seen. That was in 1993. That's 30 years ago and nothing has uh, changed since. And other than, you know, I mean, I, 
my second favorite course is NGLA on Long Island. And then my third favorite course in the world is Barn Bugle in, um, on Tasmania. So that's, you know, obviously it's just a, a delight to do your podcast when two of my three favorite courses are in your damn country. I just wish I lived a bit closer. But as I was telling Matthew, my daughter, who was born in Sydney and who I named Mackenzie, and, you know, Bob Harrison thought that when I had a son that I was going to name him Seth for Seth Rayner. <laughs> and, and, and my, uh, my ex-wife now um, was sure that I had conned her into accepting Mackenzie, you know, for, for, for no good reasons. But, um, you know, I, I'm, you know, you all have the best of, you know, the golden age and the best of modern design in your country. Can't wait to, I'm timing my visit to come down and see my daughter with the opening of Seven Mile Beach, which, you know, I thought was going to be at the end of this year. You know, I think it's going to be middle of next year. Um, so I keep kind of telling my daughter, well, something's come up. And we're gonna <laughs> <laughs> She's coming here in August. So that's, that's good to uh, Papa good. But um, yeah. So anyway, you all are stuck with me middle of next year. Wonderful. Never more happy to be stuck with someone or something. It's it's interesting you say we've got the best of golden age and we've got the best of modern golf here. And both of those have coincided with the injection of, I guess, the the architect of their era coming to Australia and not just building something great themselves, but influencing other people to build great things of their own. It's It's interesting, I think, that Australia has had some really very good you know in the in the the golden age and also now golf architects but it really is americans who and brits who have left the most indelible mark on australian golf yeah and i guess that's um changing right i mean you've got mike clayton now and and jeff ogilvy's group and so that's you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, it all started with Alex Russell um, working with McKenzie. So, you know, I, I, but, I, you know, I, I remember one of you all reached out to me about a comment I'd made on uh, Hope Island. I went up there maybe yes. 95 or something. And, you know, the time I went up there, you know, the barn bugles of the world didn't exist. And so I was into places that just you know, placed their hazards in the middle of the fairways and where where bunkers were truly central hazards and, you know, completely surrounded by short grass and yada, yada, yada. And honestly, Hope Island was one of the first courses that I had seen in a long time where they where they did that. I mean, no surprise that Peter Thompson was was behind that. And and that was a build a golf course, obviously. But as build a golf courses go, you know, I thought it was super um, strategic. Loved how the water was always on the left side of holes and, you know, really kind of frustrating the better um, players. There were some really cool shelf greens. What was that short par three on the front? Was that the, was that the seventh hole? Isn't that right before so. the par five eighth that had that central bunker on the second shot? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, so... So that was, you know, really neat um, architecture. Now, nothing beats 
getting into the sand dune, you know, then, then, you know, I mean, barn bugle didn't follow for five, six, seven, eight years. And now you've got seven mile beach um, coming online. They just posted something on Instagram. This hole looks so damn good. I honestly thought it was from barn bugle. I mean, it's just this crazy fairway, all the natural humps and, um, I mean, it's just, it's going to be super special. So, yeah. And it's, it's got, I, I was down there in March and went for a walk around and the way that it, it combines great, you know, it's got obviously, and you see on Instagram, great views out over the beach and over the water, but then they haven't just exclusively built everything with that great view to maximize it. You disappear into the dunes here and there, and then you pop up and there's a view and then it, I guess, you know, you've got Mike DeVries and Mike Clayton involved, so we shouldn't be surprised, but they haven't, they haven't jeopardized building good golf for building golf with good views, albeit maybe half the holes have those views, but it does, you know, I think it does deliver on all fronts. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you want to sound like you're a golf architecture snob, the coolest thing you can do is praise Royal Witham or something. I mean, praise some inland, you know, I mean, you know, this walled off, um, you know, I was just making some posts on Instagram because I was just at Lofoten Links in Norway, which is honestly the prettiest golf course I've ever been to. And, you know, oh, the views influence you, blah, blah, blah. It's like, who cares? I mean, don't be an idiot. I mean, if, you know, I mean, if it makes you glad to be alive and it makes your heart sing, I mean, you know, that's all um, part of it. But I'm sure that they didn't sacrifice, you know, the good golf for views. I mean, that would be um, sacrilege. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's funny. Now, a lot of, a lot of Australian golf passport listeners won't ever get to Northern Norway to see Lofoten links. Uh, so I'll shout out that the last episode of no laying ups tourist source last year is at Lofoten links and has a great bit of history about how there came to be a golf course there. Uh, and, then a match at midnight, you know, under the midnight sun between two of their two of their guys. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, what's this course in Norway? Uh, there's a great, great YouTube video that you can watch. And I'm surprised you say that a lot of Australians won't go because I mean the wanderlust of Australians is famous. And you know, I mean Yeah, I mean I get going. I think they might get, get to going. Oslo. They might get to Oslo. I, I that's a long way north of Oslo, isn't it? You know, it's 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 well it's just it is worth the effort and and for sure there you know i mean you are playing inside the arctic circle so and and there's no course inside the antarctic circle that i'm aware of (laughs) um so it's a completely different playing experience which i think 99.99 percent of your viewers would absolutely adore in a lot of ways it's like going to the uk 50 60 years ago i mean it's just this it's just this really pure uh form of the game so i don't know i would highly encourage um highly encourage your viewership to go there at some point whenever but, but don't rush and spend like two or three days because you can get a wild variety of weather events. But when the sun comes out, oh, my gosh. Now, we know another course like that, Ran, that is not too far from Melbourne where there's a wild variety of weather 
And sometimes it can be good, but sometimes it can be terrible. And you visited Cape Wickham on your most recent visit to Australia. One of several courses you visited while you were here yes. for a week, 10 days with Joe. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, Matthew, you, you had this weather gauge and you were, you were showing me, you know, that the average wind is essentially gale force from every direction. <laughs> so, I mean, tons of credit to uh, Darius and to Mike DeVries for um, routing a course and providing some flexibility. I mean, that is, I, I don't know of a, of a windier site for a golf course than there. And so with that kind of wind comes some real restrictions on an architect. And, um, you know, it, it's, that's a, you know, that's a tough, tough problem to handle. We really enjoyed our time at the nine hole course in town. What's that called? Yeah. King Bowling? Yep. King Island uh, Golf and Bowling Club. Little nine holer with, with a second set of tees for some alternate lines and some alternate distances on, on holes if you want to have a, a, an 18 hole experience. That's been there since the 30s. And it's a little more sheltered. It gets, obviously, there's, there's holes right on the coast and you see that that signature sort of grey crushed rock path that encompasses part of the course and indeed part of the island. You see that you see that in close proximity to some of the holes there. Yeah, the uh, locals you, were a little surprised that there was, you know, Ocean Dunes was also being built um, at that time. Some of the locals that we spoke to were were surprised that there was such a newfound interest in in golf there. Because it, it's it's you know pretty short season. Yeah, Wickham is closed for three months of the year. Uh, there's not three thousand people on the island. I don't think there's no there's there's no traffic lights, and you can't you can't land a big plane there. Unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, you, you you're limited in terms of the size of planes that can land there. So, well, I think unfortunately for the owners of Cape Wickham and Ocean Dunes, because it seems to be the challenge of maintaining, you know, a, a, a going concern as a business is, you know, the ease and cost and safety of the planes that can that can go there. It just seems to be a big challenge in terms of them prospering the way that maybe the architecture of the courses would suggest they should. Mm. You just can't get enough people in and out. And, yeah, as you say, Matty, if you go for three days, there's every chance that maybe... You, you can't play, you know, play golf as you'd like to. I mean, you obviously go out and butt one around, but hey, it's a real challenge, isn't it? You know, and I guess it shows the, you can build what you can build anywhere on the face of the planet, but if certain other things aren't in your favour, is the course going to be there in 20 years' time? Yeah. Um, I um, There's um, new courses going up uh, just outside of Denver, Rodeo Dunes, um, uh, Michael Kaiser um, Jr. Um, is behind that project. And I think that's going to have some direct impact on some of the interior courses. I mean, because, you know, you can just fly into Denver and go play really cool courses. So, you know, it's just, it's really interesting what's happened, you know, since, I mean, coincidentally, I moved to Australia in 93 
and then 94, 95, Sandhills comes online and this whole concept of if you build something great, they will come uh, concept was born, timing it perfectly with this minimalism effort and trying to find these you know, sites that are just ideally suited um, for golf. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'll, you know, where that all shakes out um, will be um, interesting. Um, yeah, and it really, I guess that that's a great example of how <clears throat> how good is the golf justifies the journey because you can imagine people will still very happily make that five-hour drive from Denver to Mullen in Nebraska to play Sandhills, but yeah. perhaps some of the other the other clubs that are around there, if there's this Rodeo Dunes that's a quarter of the distance and as good or better, are people still going to be making the drive out to play a couple of the other clubs that have been built in that area? I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's exactly right. We'll see. Um, so it, it, but you know, it all comes back to um, if it's a natural golf site and if it's, if it's great, um, architecture you know i think it'll survive but but i don't know we're 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 you know the cost of golf in america has become so high uh, it feels like a recession would really help get us back on track um, and i don't say that wishing for a recession but you know some of the you know, some of these, uh, I've had some friends call saying, do you realize that caddy fees are now $200 plus tip? And I'm like, Whew. you know, it's somebody invites you to their home course and, and, and they pay for the greens fee, but you pay for their caddy and you're out 400 or 500 US dollars. It's like, wow, I can't even afford free golf anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> and we lament over here that our great courses, although, as you noted earlier, they stay they stay accessible to visitors if they want to play them. You know, we lament that, say, Royal Melbourne will cost you 500 US as a green fee. But if you can if you can pay 500 US to play Royal Melbourne West or you can pay 500 for a couple of caddy fees at, you know, a course in Philadelphia that might just scrape into the US top 100, it does, it does put in context, you know, yes, Royal Melbourne West is expensive, but it's also great value given it's one of the 10 best golf courses on the face of the planet. I totally agree with that. I mean, I save money to go to places like Ardfin or Cape Kidnappers or Royal Melbourne. And there are plenty of courses that, um, you know, are, are really fine, but I am not going to pay $300 for um, period ever. So. Harking yep. back to what you said a little earlier, Rand, I never knew that you, uh, viewed Barnboogle Dunes so highly and that you held it in your top three favourites. I knew that you had an affinity for the place, but I never knew that you held it in such high esteem and such high company. I've always enjoyed listening to you and learning of your thoughts on Australian golf courses, in part because you're so passionate, in part because you're so architecturally knowledgeable, and also because you've seen so much. So where you view Australian golf courses and what you think of as being good, bad, indifferent otherwise within Australia has always, I've always put a huge amount of importance on your views. 
Well, I mean, I, you're, that's your fault. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, uh, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I love, you know, like I, I am not a uh, range guy. I mean, if I get to Barn Bugle, I'm going to go play golf. And so the course starts off relatively soft on holes one to two. But then the stretch from three to 15 is about perfect. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I've only played it three or four times. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the 16th hole. That's the par three, isn't it? Yeah. And then 17 and 18 are great. Um, so, but, you know, it, 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 it just, um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, there, there are just some weird things about it that, that I really um, like, including that you get to kind of edge into the ground, it, it, edge into the round, um, you know, without beating a bunch of balls or something. Um, yeah. And, and on the topic of, of value, uh, maybe even better value than the coast earlier, 134 Australian dollars at the moment to play either course at Barn Boogle. 134. That's ridiculous. That's uh, that's $89.50 in your money. Wow. Are you kidding? That's, Are you kidding? No. Day, all, all, day, all day golf across both courses. Actually, that's very new. That's just popped up, Matty. They're now offering a day rate to play both courses. That's ah. never been that's never been in place before, Rand. This is breaking news. So all day, all day golf on one of the two courses, 165 Australian. You play both courses in a day for two fifteen. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point, talking about value for money, I, I don't even know what's remotely close to that. I mean, just, I mean, there's nothing. Um, you know, in this country, Bethpage Black Municipal Course is praised um, for its value for money. But if I, not living in the greater New York City area, went up to play, I'm, I think it's $200 or more. Um, so how far is Barn Bugle from Seven Mile Beach? About a three-hour drive. Yeah, so Seven Mile Beach is just out, just outside Hobart, near Hobart Airport. And it's about, I think Google says it's three hours 20, but that tends to mean it's about three hours uh, up to Barn Bugle. So how are people going to do that? It'd be interesting to will see. They drop, will they just land in Hobart and then shuttle back and forth? Or yeah, I'm I'm curious to see. You know, do people fly in and out of Hobart and and do the drive up and back, or do, do people say fly into Launceston, play Barnbugle, drive down, play Seven Mile Beach, fly out of Hobart? It's not. You know, you're certainly not flying between the two. You're not flying from from Hobart up unless you unless you've got enough money that you can make the drive go away and just land on the strip there at Barney. But yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting, particularly when five mile beach opens. I think that's. Is that what was called arms end? No. So there's arm end, which is across the water from, from seven mile beach, which uh, Ogilvy Clayton, sorry, (laughs) Ogilvy Cocking and Mead are now doing. Uh, And and then. So Matt Goggin has recently got kind of an in-principle agreement from the Tasmanian government to support a second course next to Seven Mile Beach, which will be called Five, five Mile Beach. Right, 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 right. Which right. is more 
of a in kind of a heathy small dunes heathland type plants whereas seven mile beach is more pure links big dune um so if that five mile beach course comes to fruition and it's literally next door like you'd play out of the same clubhouse with the first tees 100 meters apart um if that comes to fruition well then even without going to king island you can go down to tasmania and aside from all of the other things Tasmania offers, you can play what will probably, you know, optimistically be four of the world top hundred hmm. within three hours drive of each other. So that that is a game changer. And also, Ran, is the fact that there's just been a decision made for by the Australian Football League to put an Aussie rules team in Hobart. And that team oh, I think really? like wow. Yeah, so they'll play half their game, half their home games out of Hobart, half their home games out of Launceston. So, kind of yet Wait, another Aussie thing. Rules where they go like that. Yes, yes. correct. He's he's gesturing he's gesturing the goal the goal signal for people who can't can't see. What what happened to rugby union? Can they not get a rugby union team? I mean, that was what I used to go see in the Sydney Stadium. You want to take that one, Maddie? Union seems to be parochial within some states within the country. League seems to be even more so. And Australian rules football seems to be a little, have a little more universal coverage across the, the nation mm. and, so and has certainly the, been a more popular sport within Tasmania. Aussie rules is number one in the country in general, but especially in Tasmania? Well, so the rugby codes kind of own New South Wales and Queensland, although there sure. is Aussie rules there. And Aussie Rules owns sort of Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, WA. But I would say that the the Aussie Rules foothold in the rugby league states is stronger than the rugby league hold, foothold in the Aussie Rules states. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. Like I had a mate move from Sydney down to Hobart um, a few years ago and looked around to find a rugby league comp for his kids to play in and there just isn't one. So did I play Tasmania Golf Club? What's the one with the par five that loops around the bay? Yep. Isn't that Tasmania? That's Tasmania. That third hole? Correct. I hooked a ball into the whatever body of water it is and this guy in a kayak went and retrieved it and threw it up on the fairway like 100 yards further on. <laughs> and I said, play it as it lies to my friend Lloyd Bickerton. And he was like, no, 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 that's not the way this works. So that was great. Yeah. Well, so the great opportunity that that Tasmania Golf Club and Royal Hobart have at this point is there's going to be a lot of people coming literally to their doorstep. I mean, both of them are within five minutes of Seven Mile Beach. Mm. And so they're both in the process of making some changes. Uh, Tasmanias are inflicted on it by a road upgrade. They're losing a few holes near the road. Royal Hobart has been doing its own work um, just of its own volition. But there's an opportunity, I think, for both of those courses to be, to turn themselves into the course that the tourist wants to play while they're in town. I think at this point in time, neither course is that. I think you would finish up at Seven Mile and you would drive to Barney. But I know particularly Royal Hobart is looking at what are its options and how can it continue to to get itself a bit better and a bit better and a bit better so that if you're going to be at Seven Mile Beach, you say, you know what, we should play Royal Hobart while we're here. And again, that's a great thing about Seven Mile Beach, I think, is that 
it's not cannibalizing those two clubs memberships and if they play their cards the right way it's actually going to give them this incredible new revenue stream of golfers like you who've traveled half a world and they want to see something that's worth seeing what about the mornington peninsula i mean i haven't seen doke's new you know the redo of the uh thompson course but you know when i was there God, i love sorrento and nobody talks about sorrento i mean it no. seems like portsy star has arisen more portsy's portsy's much much easier for the non-members to access there's accommodation next door and it's probably rightly viewed as a better course than sorrento um sorrento's private club and can be a little bit difficult for non-members to access. Uh, and I, th I think they're happy just keeping the course for their members and their member guests as well. Sure. I mean, they're prerogative, but. Um, but it is, it is one of those courses down there that doesn't get that much discussion, certainly in comparison to, to a lot of the other headline acts on the peninsula. I is think, that because nobody's essentially playing it, or? Yeah, I was going to say it's 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 just getting less traffic and less less sets of fresh eyes seeing it and commenting. Like no one's there's there's not much Instagram traffic on Sorrento, whereas people. I've never seen the picture. To your point, yeah. Is it? Are you all huge fans of St Andrews Beach? Yes. Yeah. I think that's Dokes um, and Clay. I mean, you know, they're they're least or most underrated golf course. I, yeah, I don't think St Andrews Beach can really promote itself for whatever reason, but um... mm. well, I think the two things that help inflate a course's reputation are views and privacy, right? And St Andrews Beach has been a fifty, sixty dollar public course for a lot of its time. It's just gone over a hundred bucks. Um, they're finally building a clubhouse ran rather than operating out of the container. I don't um, even know if that's good news because, I mean, I'm there for the golf. I'm not there for, you know. I mean, in terms of its sustainability as a business, I think it's it's a good thing. Good um, but, yeah, it certainly people overlook it a lot. And I, I often have mates say, I'm going down to Melbourne, where should I play? And, you know, I'm saying, well, you can pay 500 to play this Sandbelt course or you can drive for an hour and pay 100 bucks and play something that is just as good or in many in many comparisons a better golf course. Yeah. And how much is it? A hundred bucks? I think it's yeah, 105 bucks now. So slightly under Barn Bugle, but yeah. Wow. Which to put it's... it in context, last week Matt and I were spruiking on this podcast that uh yeah, you you in America for a few years have had these stadium golf experiences where major league baseball stadiums or NFL stadiums will turn into a golf course for a few weeks where you can hit it out of the grandstand and whatever. So one of our stadiums in Melbourne is doing this in September. And we were we were spruiking it, and then we had a look at what the cost is um, to play nine holes inside this stadium. It's one hundred and five dollars. So for the same money, you can play five holes inside a football stadium, or you can play one of the 12, 13 best courses in Australia. I think mm. I know what I'd be. Mm. Yeah, boy, that's painful. The world's gone insane. Uh, I did I did a little bit of research while you were speaking. Just on that topic of value as well, and I found out that the midweek Monday to Thursday twilight rate at Rustic Canyon is thirty nine dollars rand. That's my is that's it? my that's my nomination for US value. Yeah, that's that's absurd. Yeah, I'm trying to. Gosh, I can't believe that. That doesn't even make sense. Um, it gets more expensive on the weekends. 
I would hope so. And and um, and early morning tea times, but but yeah, yeah, afternoon, late afternoon tea time at Rustic midweek is change out of forty dollars. You know that's such a special site. I mean, I remember I was with Gil Hans there in the early two thousands, and I asked him if this was his Pacific Dunes because you know water views to me don't mean anything. Um, and and being in its own secluded canyon, to me, is the same as being on the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean or whatever. And um, he looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, like, well, no, I mean, it's not. Um, but, I mean, what a, gosh, I can't believe that they would give it away like that. It's remarkable. I, I, I've only been there twice, but I... And the last time was more than ten years ago. But I, I find myself thinking about that course consistently. I just, I think it's a, a masterpiece. Yeah, I, I, you know, honest to God, at the time that I first played it in the early two thousands, I thought it was better than uh, LACC, um, which, you know, was long removed from the course that it is um, today. Um, I mean, Rustic Canyon back in the early two thousands was more pure to George Thomas's vision. I thought than what LACC was at that point in time. Mm. You know, that's changed, but um, it's just, you know, it's, it's pretty cool guys. You know, how big are restorations in Australia? I mean, that's the big, huge thing here, whether it's Oakland Hills, Baldur's Roll. I just was at the country club outside of uh, Cleveland, you know, so much great. We're, you know, we're finally taking care of our hundred year old gems. Is that, what do you have coming up? Royal Sydney's firing up soon? Yeah, so, I would say not restoration here, in part because our courses our courses have evolved in a way that maybe more like a lot of the great British courses have. Like you look at Rye, you know, if you were going to restore Rye, which version would you restore? Because it's had such incremental change over the early kind of decades of the last century. Right, sure. Our courses were a bit the same. So... New South Wales Golf Club, for instance, is about to undertake a rebuild of 18 greens and all the bunkering. And initially there was people saying, oh, it should be restored. Okay, well, what do we restore it to? Because the McKenzie course is nothing like what was there today. What's there today is essentially one-third McKenzie, one-third Appley, one-third both of them together, kind of adjustments to McKenzie by Appley. So do you restore it to Appley's version? Okay, well... They've done this and that and the other since. So that's kind of a good example of there's not a pure version that is worth restoring. You know, unlike a lot of those golden age courses in the northeast of the US, the first version was the blueprint and it kind of, it was, it was um, kind of affected negatively from there. A lot of our courses, it's hard to, it's hard to say there's a version and maybe Maddie down your way Commonwealth is, is a similar thing. So it's more about restoring the spirit of the original course than restoring the greens and bunkers and whatnot of the original course. I was going to say that there's probably more renovation and not true restoration. There's, there's upgrades and works and modernization on many courses Long Island, which is next door to Peninsula Kingswood that now falls under the Nationals umbrella. They've acquired that course and, and facility since you were last here, Ran. Renaissance is working at Commonwealth, as Scott said. 
Royal Sydney is Who's in guilt. charge of Commonwealth for Renaissance? Is that is Brian Slonick? Yes, Slonick, yeah. Okay. Boy, you know, I thought Commonwealth was was nip and tuck with Kingston Heath for the second best back in the mid 90s. But then, you know, Kingston Heath did everything right for, you know, several decades. And, Mm. you know, Commonwealth, I've not heard, um, you know, anything near glowing uh, about, but I'm, I'm sure they're turning it around. I think Commonwealth's yeah. probably one of those examples where a, a membership and an executive at a club probably didn't realise what they had and weren't true to the founding vision and the the hallmarks of a course. There's because that's that's really a candidate for a true restoration. If we were going to split hairs, there's enough there's enough written and there's enough photos and there's enough aerials from the time where Charles Lane completed his work and that 18 was was first in play where they could really hark back to something in its early form and say yes this is this is true to its origins and and it's and it's worthy of that effort i mean those bunkers were incredibly stylish my goodness yeah. I mean, and their and their location their their position where you would you would consistently challenge the inside of a dog leg in an aggressive line, leave someone a lot of room on the outside. And then conversely at the green, you would bunker one side and, and yeah, it, it don't get me started. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so what see, course has done the best? I mean, it seems like Victoria, um, even I've seen maybe as many as 200 pictures it seems like Victoria um, has come the furthest since 1999 yeah. when I last I, saw it. I think so. I think so. Clate's work there and their vegetation management, their, uh, how would you say, perhaps their, their rediscovery of their, their defining characteristics as a course, I don't think anyone's done it better than Victoria. Um, and who, what course would you most like to see restored? I mean, is it is it Commonwealth? Is that the answer? Yeah, if I was if I was in charge of the game in this country and I, I just had an unlimited budget and carte blanche, I think I'd be heading to Commonwealth before anywhere else because I, I think that has the greatest upside. But I think in terms of in terms of improvement that's going to be realized in the next couple of years, Ryan, I think you mentioned Gill working at Royal Sydney and if, if he's able to execute what he has planned, I think that's a course that I think, Maddie in the in the latest rankings, it's probably around 50. Yeah. And, you know, that could be... Is that right? In, in Australia? Yeah. Wow, the mighty... I used to play there a bunch with uh, George Blunt, a total rascal of a person. But, um, boy, we had so many good matches in like 95, 96, 97. I mean, I thought it was a pretty darn cool course, teeing up on the rooftop. I mean, that was crazy. Mm. Um, and But to your point earlier, I, I don't even know what point you would go back to restore it. I mean, it, is this a gill starting from scratch type thing? Or what is, what is the marching order? What are the marching orders? Well, the marching orders have changed partially due to the membership and partially due to the neighbours who blocked the approval. So there was a plan to take out a lot more of the big trees that that shouldn't be there. 
oaks and all sorts of things that have no place in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Uh, the the neighbours weren't keen on that. Um, the members weren't keen on some of Gill's first design suggestions, such as a par three finishing hole. So there's been some compromise to what Gill had intended, but I think what's there, it it removes kind of that the weakest stuff around the middle of the property where you sort of had four and five and 12 and 10. Up along the perimeter. Yeah, yeah, like quite, there was quite narrow boring golf through the middle and all the best land up around where five, six, seven, eight were was over and done within yeah. the first couple of hours. So Gill's, Gill's proposal takes you up to that bit of land on the front and the back. So it completely reroutes the course. Mm. But, you know, that great, that great short par four first teeing off from the, the clubhouse deck. Yeah. Uh, the 18th hole with the drive improved by bunkers in place of the trees. That all stays. Um, but, yeah, it really is green complete... in front of that clubhouse. That's a pretty cool finishing shot, isn't it? It really is. And, I, yeah, I am an R because I would like, you know, the members to have said, look, if Gil Hans wants to change 18 to a par three, let's trust him because he's Gil Hans. But I also get that that's a proud club with a rich history and that finishing hole is is quite iconic in Australian tournament golf and it's quite dear to their hearts. And it's when you sit in that clubhouse with a beer, it's a great outlook. And so in a practical sense, I get them kind of saying, oh, we really don't want to lose that. Oh, you know, we went there at, I don't know what time, five in the morning to cheer Greg Norman home in 1996. And mm-hmm. oh boy, people left not in a great mood. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I've checked. So yeah, the most recent Golf Australia magazine ranking, Royal Sydney, is fifty sixth, which is a spot behind your beloved Hope Island, Moran. Wow. Well, I mean, I gosh, I I, I would have had it in the top dozen when I was in the mid mid to late nineties. Um, I, I remember watching Aaron Badley and um, Adam Scott warming up on the range realizing that my swing and their swing had no commonality at all. And I kept looking at um, Aaron Badley's left foot going, why didn't he raise his heel? I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was pretty depressing to be honest. Good Lord. Yeah. Well, no, Raw Sydney's very much dropped since then. And yes, yeah, so I think the potential of what Gil's going to do there is, is immense. And when does that start? So they're poisoning the grass in September and, and the work follows straight after. So is it is Benny Hilliard gonna lead the project? I believe yeah. so. Good, yeah. great. I believe we're so. Great hands. Great yeah, hands. we're um we're trying to get Ben on the on the pod to have a chat about it, which would be great. So that's starting this year, and then the summer of 24-25, Mackenzie and Ebert are, are doing New South Wales. We're closing for the summer and they're gonna do all 18 in one go. Is Dave Burton still the um, secretary? No, he was until mm, a couple of years ago. He he uh, he he retired a couple of years ago. I think after twenty five years in the chair. So oh, Dave yeah. Dave's Dave's uh, just a member now, and and thankfully we still see his face out there. But um, no, he was an incredible steward for for the club for a very very long time. A good Canadian, and a wonderful guy. That's right. He was there when uh, Bill Clinton was had that famous round there. Yes, that that's right. Funny. 
Yeah. That's right. There was, there was Matt, stop me if I've told this story on the podcast before, but um, the day that Bill Clinton was there, they, they decided that they couldn't close the whole place to the members. That wouldn't be right. Uh, and so the members could still come up, but they were keeping a bit of a buffer around Clinton's group with, with Greg Norman. And there was a junior who I played junior golf a um, couple of years behind whose name was Andrew Whitehouse, a really good player. And he was a member at New South Wales. And so they had the secret service down at the bottom. Yeah. You drive off, off Anzac parade and go up through the national park, that little narrow one lane road. They had the, they had the secret service station down there and they had the membership roster. And so members would pull up and say, Oh, my name's Joe Smith. Yep. There you are, Joe. You, you can come in. So Andrew Whitehouse pulls up and he's like 17 years old and he's got his P plates on his car and, uh, and the secret service say, Oh, what can we do for you? He said, Oh, I'm a member at New South Wales golf club. I'm going to go up and practice. And they said, Oh yeah, right. Okay. What's your surname? And he says, Whitehouse. And they're like, ah, oh, piss off kid. Like, yeah, you're here to cause problems. You know, the president's here. He's like, no, my name's my name. My surname is Whitehouse. They're like, what? Like the building that the president lives in. He's like, well, yeah, exactly the same as that. One word. Oh, that's and it took like five minutes to convince them to look at the role. And then they scrolled down to W. They're like, oh, Andrew Whitehouse. There you are. In you come. That's too, what are the odds of that? I mean, there's zero. <laughs> what yeah. did they have? They these frogmen out in the Pacific, didn't they? I heard that too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that was pretty intense. So. Yeah, no, we've got um, clubs are very proud of that. There's about there's about five or ten photos around the the locker room and the clubhouse of that day. Greg Norman in his prime, looking looking like the peacock that he was. No, it's certainly something that was notable for for us to have him come out. What's the best thing that can happen to Australian golf now? You've got the President's Cup coming back. You've you know, so many of your top courses are the best they've been in decades. I think if I think if Seven Mile Beach lives up to the potential, and as Scott said, you end up with four world top hundred courses in Tasmania, that would that would be a huge boost. Yeah, I mean, I likewise your comments earlier about a recession ran. I don't I don't encourage one broadly, but. I do worry that our game is getting a bit out of hand in terms of the things that make it great don't necessarily cost a lot of money or involve a lot of excess, but I just see it here and there just creeping in things that make golf cost more and take longer uh, and, and compromise, you know, the courses, you know, things like cart paths and, and whatnot. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think Australian golf is at a bit of a a fork in the road in terms of what what we're going to become. And I worry that that some of the people who are influential in the clubs that are influential in Australia go on golf trips to the US and they see the sorts of things that we kind of don't don't like don't love the look at and they come home and they say we need this, you know, this is what we need to do. I really hope that's not the path that Australian golf goes down because, you know, that obviously can often mean places become more exclusive, certainly means that costs go up for members and guests. And, yeah, I don't know. That's For me, it's we need to choose the right path from here and, and be what we are. As you said earlier, we're so far from the rest of the world and that's a real asset in terms of not having your culture 
kind of influenced too much from outside. But if the people who are going to decide our future of the game go looking in America for inspiration and are inspired by the wrong things, I worry. No, yeah. I mean, you all are the leaders. You do not need to follow. You need to lead. So don't go down that path. I, I mean, it might be 10 times more expensive to play golf in this country. The, the new private courses that are opening, they, they want $100,000, dollars $200,000 to join and carrying costs of twenty twenty-five thousand dollars a year. That's insanity. Hmm. I mean, what, I mean what, what would it cost to join a really fine course in the greater Sandbelt areas? I mean, is it, what is that now? And what is the carrying cost for a year? It'd be a $10,000 joining fee that you could pay in one or two installments and an annual subscription in the neighbourhood of $5,000. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, you're... you're <laughs> why you would want to change that is uh, not good. I mean, it, it, literally, golf in this country is 10 times more expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, For so Sydney... Golf. For worse golf. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Sydney's probably a microcosm of that because Maddie's talking about 10 grand in and five a year in Melbourne. I think 20 to 30 in and six or seven a year is becoming accepted norm for the top clubs in Sydney. And that's that's becoming a lot of money. That's becoming the point that, I mean, I remember, and not not targeting my club, because they're not really leading it and they're probably not the worst. But when I started playing New South Wales a bunch, you know, as a in my 20s, and I'd go out with a mate who was a member, and it wasn't uncommon to have, you know, a teacher and a tradie and a lawyer in the same group, you know. And what brought them all together was that they all were passionate about golf and wanted to belong to a club that was about the golf. And I worry that you start getting to 20 and 30 grand to join and you start getting to six or seven a year to belong. And there's a lot of people who can be as passionate as they want to be. Their pockets aren't that deep. And I think great clubs have a tapestry of members and of people in them. They don't just have all the bankers and lawyers and hedge fund managers. Um, that's, that's my concern is not just the cost, but it's what the cost does to the tapestry of the membership. That's why I was always happy to make the two hour drive north to Stockton to go play Newcastle. I mean, it was a very broad base. My best friend was a school teacher there. You know, there was no pretense. I mean, it was just, you know, just got to hang out with good people. Um, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. But as I say, I don't think it's too far gone, but I think it's got its toes hanging over the, the edge and it's deciding whether to jump. So we shall see. Well, best wishes. Yeah. You've been, you've been super generous, Ram, with your time uh, and we're so appreciative of, of the time spent with you and of you joining us today. So very nice to see your face again uh, and hopefully I'll be back in Southern Pines and we'll be playing golf soon. Well, we need to get Matthew over here with yeah, this fancy golf bag and we can play hickory golf when you come, Matthew. Oh, but, would love um, that. Scott, it was great seeing you and, and um, congratulations on your endeavor. I love your, uh, what you're doing and um, thanks for having me. I'll see you next year.
Yes. Looking forward to it, Rain. 